are here for a reason. This, 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 this news just in. Ready? Go, go, go. We are your news now. <laughs> right on radio. For continuous coverage, the latest information, separate fact from opinion. Get the truth. <laughs> Get the news. <laughs> You're listening to Right On Radio. You, you are here for a reason. Welcome, everyone. Yes, you are here for a reason, and it's not for me. It is because the Word of God is going to be read, and all glory goes to Him. You know, this morning I woke up super early. I was uh, out of bed at 3 a.m., and I woke up with praise and worship in my heart. And literally the first words of the day going through my mind were singing praise to the Lord. And you just know that is the best start to a day that anyone can have. And speaking of singing praises to the Lord, a reminder that by the end of this month of September, which is, you know, going by pretty quick, uh, we want your submissions of worship music. Uh, you worshiping the Lord can be one minute, can be two minutes, can be up to five minutes. And uh, just just ask that uh, it's sincere in your heart. And uh, on video, of course, send a video. We transfer is the best way to send a video to me. And you'd send it to write on Jeff at gmail.com. And although I did not question her last night on the Singapore, and I missed most of it, unfortunately, but I did join at the end, and they were singing, uh, actually, uh, Shiloh was singing a wonderful, wonderful song when I joined, and it really lifted my spirits, and then uh, I was told that I missed a song, and out of the goodness of her heart, watching Wall sang me this song again and obviously it's one of my favorites it's based on uh song psalm 91 and uh man i'm hoping she submits it because she has a really great original melody to it and what the lord has put on her heart and you know in my reflection this morning as i'm doing my study on this chapter in acts i was reminded of that song that uh, Beulah sang, and and I think of Paul being in prison, probably focusing on Psalm 91 as well. And although if I had more time, I would have pressed or requested or begged uh, watching Walt to submit that uh, rendition that she had come up with of uh, Psalm 91 but I found one that uh, is short. It's a two-minute clip, and I just think the singing is absolutely beautiful. And so I'm thinking of Paul in prison and listening to this song, and just check it out. Let me add it in here. And uh, enjoy. I think you're going to like this one. shelter of the Most High God. I will say of the Lord, He is my strength. I will say
say he's my refuge, my fortress, my shield. I will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will dwell in the shelter. 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 I will dwell in the shelter of the Most High God. I will say of the Lord, He is my strength. I will say He's my refuge. My fortress, my shield, and I will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will dwell in the shelter. I will dwell in the shelter. I can call on Him, and He will answer. I can call on Him, and He'll be with me. I can call on Him in time of trouble. I will say of the Lord, He is my strength. I will say He is my refuge, my fortress, my shield. And I will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will dwell in the shelter of the Almighty. I will dwell in the shelter of the Almighty. Amen. And I just saw Reb B. Hey, that could be us. That's right. The SOS Army Choir <laughs> that we have on our uh, Singapore prayer celebration. Uh, praise the Lord. Uh, what a wonderful, wonderful rendition that was. But I think Beulah's was better. <laughs> if you can imagine that. Uh, just give me two seconds here. Uh, as we uh, get towards the end, I'm going to ask that if you can stick to the end. I have some very important announcements to make. If you noticed in the uh, title of the post I put up when I put this up this morning, that this will be my last broadcast for a while. Uh, right on radio is not going away. Uh, however, this will be the last one, and I will explain a little bit more at the end of this particular broadcast. Uh, so just give me two seconds. I got to change my display settings. All right. Well, welcome everyone. Thank you for being here. Uh, it is an honor to be able to read the word of God to you and to do a bit of a study with you, a bit of a historical perspective uh, of the early church. And I really feel that we are going through a time of sanctification. Uh, be holy just as he is holy. There's a mighty, mighty move of the spirit that is already starting, folks. It is already starting. And, you know, I think just in, in a small part, and in, look, I'm just a small player in the Lord's army, in the Lord's service. But I really believe that uh, this new Goggles series is a blessing from the Lord. And it's been probably more of a blessing to me than to any of you because the greatest lesson 
is for the teacher. And, you know, some of the things that come up on this are, are not in my notes. They're not planned, and I just trust they're from the Holy Spirit. Uh, but I've been gaining quite a bit, and the Lord has been speaking to me a lot, <laughs> a lot, to say the least. And that's why I'm going to make some announcements at the end of this broadcast. Anyways, uh, well, I prayed before coming on air, but I'm just going to pray again with all of you. Heavenly Father, what an honor and a blessing it is that you have left your word with us. The very word that spoke into all of creation and creation manifest by just the spoken word of the Lord. And Lord, what an even greater, great blessing as well, Lord, that you left your Holy Spirit, not only to be with us, but to be in us. And Father, I do pray the Holy Spirit, uh, I give the Holy Spirit permission to enter me and to do the Father's will, that Jesus be glorified, that your words come out in the way that you would want them. Lord, give each one here that peace that you want to instill upon their heart today. May your word and your scripture be written in their hearts and that they would know the purpose of this chapter for their lives. They would know the purpose of the book of Acts. They would know even greater detail how this is to prepare us for the days ahead. Father, I pray for every single person that is listening, every single person that has joined us, no matter when you are here and gathered, Father God, that you lift them up. You lift up their health. You lift up their relationships. You send more kingdom relationships and build a greater community amongst everyone that is here. Because, Father, we are not called to do this alone. We are called to be gathered in amongst the congregation. And the congregation may look different uh, than it has traditionally in our lifetime. And perhaps that is why you have us studying the book of Acts today. But Father God, I pray strength in their legs. I pray healing for those who need healing, uh, whether it be in the mind, in the heart, or in the physical body. Father God, I pray for healing for that person, anyone that needs it. Right now, I just pray you touch them. And Father, they need strength in their legs for the days ahead. I pray that you strengthen each one of us. And Father God, you put your word firmly in our heart. And Lord, I pray that each one of us, as illustrated in this chapter, Lord, will be ready to give our testimonies and to defend the gospel and give glory to the Lord at any given time. And I pray this in Yahuwah's name, Yahuwah Messiah, Jesus Christ is Lord. Hallelujah. All right. Well, let's pick up where we left off. So we're going to be doing Acts chapter 25 today. And I'm just going to pick up as a bit of a reminder of where we left off 
last time. And Paul was warned by all the other disciples in the way that if you are going to go to Jerusalem, there's essentially a world of hurt coming upon you. And Paul also was told that by the Holy Spirit. But I think reading between the lines and understanding who Paul is, Paul did not disrespect the advice of all the other disciples in going to Jerusalem. He instead thought the Holy Spirit told them that I was going to be beaten and jailed and all this stuff, which all came true. <clears throat> but Paul was willing to lay down his life for the gospel. And just because the Holy Spirit said these things will happen to Paul, Paul did not see it as the Holy Spirit telling him not to go. He was just being warned that this is what's going to happen to you. And Paul, being sold out for the gospel of Jesus Christ, decided to go. And so that the gospel, and through this, you know, gospel, Paul being imprisoned and everything that's happening to him actually furthered the spread of the gospel. And when, you know, in Acts chapter uh, 1, verse 8, it says, you know, the gospel's going to go to all these places. Well, this is how the Lord fulfills these things as recorded by Luke. So Paul did go to Jerusalem. Uh, he was, there was a scene at the synagogue at the temple. He was falsely accused. And he went and basically gave a sermon on the steps of the commanders uh, of the outpost uh, in the barracks to a mob crowd. And when he mentioned the Gentiles, they went crazy. So that was sort of like a trial right then and there. And then he was locked up and he stood trial again before the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees and you know, it, it just trial after trial for all of the same accusations, which have absolutely no base. Even the accusers did not show up, which was against Roman law. Because if you accuse someone in Roman law and you don't show up, you are the one who is guilty. So that sets the stage. And of course, Paul was hosted by the governor. He's in Caesarea at this point in time. And the governor, uh, his name is Felix, who essentially was the governor for a couple years, a bit of a wild guy, a bit of a tyrant, uh, but did not have the background. And Felix, much like the commander, just saw this as a religious debate amongst the Jews. And he did not really care for it. But he did not want, he did not release Paul. So I'm going to pick up in the last verse of Acts 24. But after two years had passed, Felix was seceded by Porcius Festus. And Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul imprisoned. Now, I want to, an interesting note came upon me this morning as I was studying this. 
Let's look at the relationships and compare them to today. This is very interesting in my mind. So what do we have here, the people in power? We have the Jewish people who were a very strong political voice who kind of worked under their own law, but they were <clears throat> it, but it, the but laws were enforced by the Romans because they were under Roman uh, Romans had conquered them. They were under Roman rule, but yet the Jews were allowed to operate on their own. And the Jews were obviously very influential because not you know Felix wanted to do the Jews a favor. Why would you do that? It, well, it was political. So let's look at the relationship today. And if you watched any bit of the uh, the Synagogue of Satan four-part series that I did, and particularly the fourth episode, we take a look in the Bible about, uh, you know, the word Jew isn't even brought up till the 11th book of the Bible, which is the book of Kings. So, you know, how is the Torah the book for the Jews? Did it? Does the Bible say that Abraham was a Jewish person. Anyways, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole there, but uh, the Jews, the Pharisees, and the, the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, were the elite in Jerusalem at the time. They were the elite. They had much power. And we look at Rome. Rome was in charge but here we see that Rome, uh, Felix, who was appointed uh, by the Caesar, and so was Portius Festus, appointed by Caesar, working hand in hand with the Jews on the political. So now we look at modern times and we look at, for instance, the Vatican. Is the Vatican working with the synagogue of Satan, which is the Pharisees, by the way? Um, I think so. I think you're seeing the Bible illustrating here how the structures were formed that have carried on till today. And of course, Rome and... Uh, the synagogue of Satan, you know, and of course, uh, England and the United States have all been working hand in hand. Yes. Jesuits. Thank you, Katie. Uh, yeah. Anyways, just, uh, just setting the stage for what is happening here. So Festus becomes the new governor and Festus had a bit more knowledge about what ha had happened um, with Jesus Christ uh, and what Paul was talking about. He was more knowledgeable than Felix was. And we're going to see that uh, Festus came in. And again, Festus is like the governor. Um, he's essentially, you know, a couple people passed, but he, you know, this is Pontius Pilate's job that they're, essentially taking. So that gives you an idea of what the position is. <coughs> Excuse me, dry throat, been up for hours, folks. All right. Chapter 25, 
Festus, then after arriving in the province, went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea three days later. And the chief priests and the leading men of the Jews brought charges against Paul. And they were pleading. So this is after two years, folks. How hard are their hearts against the gospel of Jesus Christ, the way? So after two years, you know, uh, let me just start again. And then the chief priests and the leading men of the Jews brought charges against Paul. And they were pleading with Festus, requesting a concession against Paul that he might have him brought to Jerusalem. And at the same time, they were setting an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus then answered that Paul was being kept in custody in Caesarea and that he himself was about to leave shortly. Therefore, he said, uh, have the influential man among you go there with me. And if there is anything wrong about the man, have them bring charges against him. And after Festus had spent no more than eight or ten days among them, he went down to Caesarea, and on the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered that Paul be brought. After Paul arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him, which they could not prove. While Paul said in his own defense, I have done, I have not done anything wrong, either against the law of the Jews or against the temple or against Caesar. But Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, replied to Paul and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me on these charges? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal, where I ought to be tried. I have done nothing wrong with the Jews, as you also very well know. If therefore I am in the wrong and have committed something deserving of death, I am not trying to avoid execution. But if there is nothing to the accusations which these men are bringing against me, no one can hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then, when Festus had conferred with his counsel, he answered, You have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you shall go. Now, when several days had passed, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived in Caesarea, paying their respects to Festus. And while they were spending many days there, Festus presented Paul's case to the king, saying, There is a man who is left prisoner by Felix. And when I was in Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews brought charges against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I replied to them that it is not the custom of the Romans to hand over any person before the accused meets his accusers face to face and has an opportunity to make his defense against the charges. 
So after they had assembled here, I did not delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered what the man be brought. When the accusers stood up, they did not begin bringing any charges against him of crimes that I suspected. But they simply had some points of disagreement with him about their own religion and about a dead man, Jesus, whom Paul asserted to be alive. And being at a loss how to investigate such matters, I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial there on these matters. But when Paul appealed to be held in custody for the emperor's decision, I ordered that he be kept in custody until I send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I also would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you shall hear him. So on the next day, when Agrippa and Bernice came amid great pomp and entered the auditorium, accompanied by the commanders and the prominent men in the city, at the command of Festus, Paul was brought before them. And Festus said, King Agrippa, and all you gentlemen present with us, you see this man whom all the people of the Jews appealed to me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he may not live any longer. But I found that he had committed nothing deserving death. And since he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to send him. Yet... I have nothing definite about him to write to my Lord. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after the investigation has taken place, I may have something to write. For it seems absurd to me in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him as well. <clears throat> what a scene, folks. What a scene. So there is a lot in this chapter, as there is. God's word is so rich. So just having that as the backdrop, the relationship between Rome and the Jews, even back in this day, and this is, you know, somewhere around AD 60 to AD 70. It's in there somewhere. Um, so Festus replaces Felix, and he arrives in the province and immediately goes up to Jerusalem because... So the the governors always were in Caesarea, although Jer Jerusalem was part of their managing territory, you might say. Uh, they lived in a beautiful seaside area and, you know, would really only go into Jerusalem on official business. And because he's just taken over the governorship, um, he decides to go and he has to meet with all the prominent players uh, in Jerusalem, which would be the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And of course, the chief priests and the leading men of the Jews brought charges against Paul and were pleading that 
he may be brought to is to Jerusalem. And so this again, this is after two years, folks. They still want this because the way the gospel of Jesus Christ is dangerous to the Pharisees, to the Sadducees, to the synagogue of Satan. Let's just jump into modern times now. Is the way dangerous to the synagogue of Satan? I would say so. For even the pagans, when they swear or when they bump their toe, what name do they yell out? It's the only name with power, folks. The only name with power. The way is indeed probably the most dangerous thing in this world to those who don't believe. Only two types of people, folks, lost and saved. Egypt and Israel. Is the gospel of Jesus Christ dangerous to the unsaved? Yeah. Because if they don't get saved, their eternity is going to be very different from yours and mine. This is why it is so important that the gospel message goes out. And the true gospel message the 66 books of the canonized Bible. God gave us more in there. I know there's lots of other books and we can learn from Enoch. We can learn from other books. But we have everything that we need in the Bible. God did not make a mistake. In fact, there was a comment. It was a wonderful comment on... Uh, one of our programs, I think it was on a new goggles episode. And it was one person saying that uh, she realized it's the only book she needs. I would say that's true. It's nice to have other books. Look, I've got a, I've got a library of books I love to read. But it's the only book that I need. So again, the Jews are plotting to kill him. He's been in captivity for two years, but the way is still expanding. And Paul in particular is very dangerous because he was one of them. He was a Pharisee. He was trained at the highest levels. And now he's working for the other side. And it threatens their power. It threatens everything about them. The fact that they hold the keys and they're the upkeepers of the law. The Romans were the upkeepers of the governmental law. But the Jews were the upkeepers of the spiritual law. The people with the keys. That's a lot of power, folks. 
So they wanted to have him brought so they could ambush him along the way and wipe him out. But Festus, uh, knowing that, uh, well, first of all, Festus is familiar with this, and Festus also knows that Paul is a Roman citizen, as did the commander at the barracks uh, find out. So he knows he cannot really make that decision. He'd like to wash his hands of it, just like Pontius Pilate, trust me. But he knows he can't, and he's brand new. He doesn't want to start off with such a controversial thing, so he has to tread very carefully. So he says, hey, I'm going back. Send your most influential men. Go there with me. And if there's anything wrong about them, bring your charges. So Festus had spent uh, no more than eight or 10 days among them. And then he went down to Caesarea. And on the next day, he took his seat at the tribunal and ordered that Paul be brought. Paul arrived, and the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him, which they could not prove. And, and you got to understand, Paul has already been through this a couple times, and he's already, you can't prove that, you can't do that. No, no I'm clear of all things, but yet Paul gives his own defense again, and it's very to the point. And Paul said in his own defense, I have not done anything wrong either against the law of the Jews or against the temple or against Caesar. But listen to this here again, just like Felix, but Festus wanting to do the Jews a favor replied to Paul and said, are you willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial before me on these charges? And I think the implication is here that he would give a fair trial because he's not like Felix. You know, he, he's a little bit more grounded and more by the book. <clears throat> but Paul said... I am standing here before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. I have done nothing wrong with the Jews, as you also very well know. If therefore I am wrong and have committed something deserving death, I'm not trying to avoid execution. He's not scared of dying, folks. He doesn't have a death wish. I know a lot of people interpret that this book as that, but no. But if there is nothing wrong with the accusation, accusations which these men are bringing to me, no one can hand me over to them. So he's being very skillful here and knowing the law. And then he says this, I appeal to Caesar. And as a Roman citizen, you had the right to appeal to Caesar. Now, for many of you, no, no matter which country, I'll use the United States as an example. This is like you've been in a lower court, and even if you were found guilty or non-guilty, you can still you know, challenge it further. 
And this is so this is going to the Supreme Court. This is going to Caesar, whom, by the way, as you're going to discover in the next chapter, is Nero. And Nero is probably the most brutal Caesar in history. And so Paul's saying, I'm going to go stand before this guy. And this guy's insane. And uh, he's eventually the one who had Paul beheaded, as we're going to find out as we go in. However, Festus answered, you have appealed to Caesar and to Caesar you shall go. So don't forget, Paul had already said when he first started out, he will go to Jerusalem and he will go to Rome. He will go throughout the world. And that was, you know, basically the world at the time. But what Paul didn't know when he first said it was how he was going to get to Rome. And what's most interesting here is he goes to Jerusalem knowing that he's going to get into trouble there. And now he has his ticket to Rome and he's being brought there on the government's dime, essentially, because he's going to be transported as a prisoner to go to Rome. So after several days, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived in Caesarea. So who is King Agrippa? He is the last king of the Herod dynasty. So it was his great-grandfather that had all of the uh, infants murdered when Jesus was being born. Um, and we learned about uh, the, the son, uh, Herod II, who was uh, in the earliest part of this uh, book. And then this is King Agrippa, who is a Herod. Now, King Agrippa was a very young man. And so he was given kingship over a, just a very small territory at the time. This is the way historians uh, relate to it. And although King Agrippa uh, was not in power for very long, apparently he, uh, he died uh, at a pretty young age as well. But whenever King Agrippa is mentioned, it always says, and Bernice arrived in Caesarea. And you're going to see that again, even in this chapter. King Agrippa and Bernice. So it's curious, who is Bernice? Well, it turns out Bernice was married to uh, some noble person. And that person had died. And so she went back and she went to live with her brother, the King Agrippa. And historians record that this was a, an incestuous relationship between the king and his sister. And it's interesting that whenever his name is uh, mentioned in scriptures, it's the King Agrippa and Bernice. And we'll hear a little bit more about them as we carry on with this. 
So, and while they were spending many days there, Festus presented Paul's case to the king, saying, there is a man who was left as a prisoner by Felix, left there for two years. And when I was in Jerusalem, the chief priests of the elders of the Jews brought charges against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. And I replied to them, it's not the custom of the Romans to hand over any person before the accused meets his accusers face to face. And you got to remember, his accusers were the uh, Jews from Asia Minor that accused him of bringing the Greek into the temple uh, falsely, but then they left. They're no longer with them. So there are no actual eyewitness accusers to do this. And uh, so he had no way of defending himself. They couldn't give him a fair trial there. So after they had assembled here, I did not delay, but on the next day took my seat. So he's showing what a good governor he is. You got to remember, he's brand new to the job and he's before the king. So, you know, he's telling the king exactly what happened. The accusers stood up and they bring in all these charges against them that I expected, but simply the points were in disagreement. It's like a, it's a religious argument. We're the Romans. They're the Jews. They're arguing about their religion, about some dead man named Jesus. You know, so it's kind of like, well, I don't want to get involved with this. In other words, the Roman position was at the time. So they simply had points uh, of disagreement uh, their own religion about a dead man, Jesus, who Paul asserted to be alive. And being at a loss of how to investigate, how do you investigate? How, how do I know if the guy's alive? Where do I find it? Such matters. I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial on these matters. But when Paul appealed to be held in custody for the emperor's decision, I ordered him that he be kept in custody until I send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I also would like to hear this man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you shall hear him. So Agrippa, because of the Herod dynasty, obviously knew the story of Jesus. Agrippa is a Jew himself, so he knows of all the controversy that the way is stirring up here. And uh, <laughs> so the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came amid great pomp and entered the auditorium. Now we've all we've all heard the saying pomp and circumstance, right? So great pomp. It's like this he's making an elaborate entrance. He's probably wearing his most fine kingly purple robe, you know, and Bernice is in their garments and you know all the guards had to be in their dress uniforms, you know, probably some horns, pageantry was there. For this young guy and they they say that agrippa was somewhere probably around 17 years old here as a king of a small territory a king in training you might say 
And of course, he entered the auditorium accompanied by the commanders and the prominent men of the city at the command of Festus. So Festus is really, you know, wanting to make an impression on the king. And he pulled out all the stops. Hey, the king is here. We're going to do this right. You know, he makes a very big deal about it. And at the command of Festus, Paul was brought before them. And Festus said, now, this sounds like Festus is really sucking up to the king here. But at the same time, he's really just filling him in and being respectful. Look, as a governor, uh, you're sitting in the presence of a king. You have to approach the king in a certain way. And so Festus said to King Agrippa, and all you gentlemen present with us, you see this man about whom all the people of the Jews appealed to me, both in Jerusalem and here shouting that he may not live any longer. But I found that he had committed nothing deserving death. Doesn't that sound, does this sound like the exact same thing that Jesus went through? The, the story of how the first church was brought out and with Paul in particular really is so close to what happened with Jesus. Is it going to happen with you, friend? Are we a danger? to the world system right now? Are we in the end days? Is there going to be persecution of those of us in the way? My reading of the Bible seems to indicate yes. Get secure in our faith. Lord Jesus, increase our faith that we would not even love our own lives unto death for the sake of the gospel. Man, I, I would hope that I have that in me. I don't know. Don't know until we're tried. It's easy to say it. No, they didn't do it, but I also believe that uh, Jesus will come to me, just like Stephen. Stephen being stoned, the he heavens opened up, and he Stephen knew those rocks weren't going to hurt him. Wow. So the, the towards the end of the chapter here, um, you know, obviously Felix found that he had done nothing deserving of death. And since he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to send him. Actually, you don't have much of a choice, but he decided to send him. He decided to do his job. In other words, yet I have nothing definite to write to him, to write to my Lord. <clears throat> Therefore, I've brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after investigation has taken place, I may have something to write. So really, he's bringing King Agrippa in, like, you know, he's presenting, you look, you're, you're, you're the man with all the knowledge. Your family has been through this already. Um, I really need you. I need to have something to write because let's face it. He knew who Nero was, who the Caesar was. And he's, he's the guy, he was appointed by Nero. 
But Nero is not a man you want to play games with. So you're going to send a high-profile prisoner like Paul, and you have nothing to write down on a piece of paper? Scary stuff. So he concludes, for it seems absurd to me in sending a prisoner and not to indicate the charges against him as well. And uh, we'll pick up in the next chapter. That's the end of that one. It's exciting. Don't you kind of feel like you could, to me, I can picture this. I can picture what the, uh, the circumstances and I can picture Paul being there and, you know, Paul, you know, he's been in prison for two years. Now he's been in prison at the palace. So it's not like he's uh, doing super hard time. I don't think because he's, allowed to have all the disciples come into him and things like that during this time. So he's able to write letters and he's able to do things. He's extending the gospel from jail, supernatural provision. And uh, maybe he was singing Psalm 91 in his prison cell. You never know. All right. So that concludes that. Uh, we're almost through the book of Acts and uh, really look forward to it and what God has for us next. I'm still in prayer about it, although I feel a very strong leaning towards a particular book, but we'll see. Um, okay, so I'm going to make some announcements here now and uh, nothing shocking or nothing big. I just want you to have a bit of an idea of what's going on. Uh, previously, whenever I've gone away, I've always pre-recorded shows and, and put them up. So I've really never left the audience. Uh, you know, when I go camping or something like that, I've never left uh, the audience with no shows. I have not done that this time. I've put out a lot of shows recently, uh, just did not have the time. And plus it would be impossible for me to really have done it adequately. And so uh, I am going away, uh, leaving essentially, you know, shortly. And I will be out of contact. Uh, I'm not sure if I'll have Wi-Fi or not where I'm going, but uh, I definitely won't be taking phone calls and won't be doing email and stuff like that. Um, it is a, a business trip of sort uh, that I'm going on. And upon my return, I will probably be going away again. And I don't know for how long, one to two weeks, I would suspect. And actually, if I'm to be honest with you, I'd always been planning to do a motorcycle trip. Uh, and I have some general purposes to do uh, on, on this trip. But it's really become much, much more than that. In the last few days, the Lord has dropped a couple bombs in my heart. And so, although it seems like maybe it's just going to be a fun trip, it's actually going to be a ministry trip uh, that I'm going to be taking on my motorcycle, weather permitting. Uh, if there's, you know, hurricanes coming in, I'm probably not going to be riding down there. But uh if the Lord opens up a way, I will be going down the Eastern seaboard. And I have several things that I must do while on this trip. I haven't been able to spend much time in the United States for a while. So I will have a fairly 
busy schedule, but there's in particular a couple ministry items that I need to take care of. And this is all in preparation for, uh, we will have a bit of a format change when I come back from all of this uh, going into October. Um, There's probably going to be a couple October surprises. I will let you know that. And this trip ahead of those things is very, very important. Um, The other thing is that I would like to do uh, to the best of my ability. Now, I'm not planning to do any like public meetings or anything like that, but as I am going down the eastern seaboard, uh, I'd like to meet up with as many of you as I can. And so I'm not like putting on an official seminar or anything like that. Uh, literally, if if uh, you guys send me some emails, and I'll give you instruction on how to do that in a moment, uh, because I'm not exactly sure of my route and different things. I know a couple places I have to end up. But if, for instance, I'm going through, uh, like I know I will end up in Tennessee, for instance, if there's, you know, a few people who are in Tennessee or something like that, uh, and you're all within a certain, you know, driving parameter, uh, perhaps we can all meet for dinner or something like that and, uh, and get together. I'd love to, you know, give you a hug and really get to know some of you. Um, so, you know, uh, Possibly also the Carolinas, uh, maybe Georgia, Kentucky, West Virginia. I'll be going through there. Uh, all of these places. So if there's a possibility, if you're interested in meeting with me and just in an informal, maybe breaking bread, uh, having a hug, a prayer together, um, a laugh, for instance, uh, that would be amazing for me. So uh, here's how I would like to do it. And by the way, uh, it, so it might, it might work, might not, maybe no one's interested. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. Uh, however, if you are interested, what I need you to do is send me an email to write on Jeff at gmail.com. Please listen to this. Um, it's important. And, and by the way, I'm not adding you to any mailing list or anything like that. In fact, Uh, You might not until the last minute kind of get any reply from me. However, um, what I need you to do is, you know, put in the subject line, meet with Jeff or something like that. So your email stands out to me. And then in the body of the email, uh, please put your address and your phone number. And if you don't mind, uh, just to save me having to Google each one of your addresses, the city that you're closest to, you know, uh, something like that, like a major point that you're closest to. If you could put those things in and I can look at the emails and I can say, okay, well, these people are all here. Um, then I can find something kind of in the middle and uh, perhaps you can meet up with me and some other right on radio listeners, uh, others who knows. And so by the way, I would, you know, contact you back. I'd email you or phone you uh, in advance of my coming. Uh, But I think it'd be a blessing. I'd like to meet as many of you as I possibly can. I don't know how much time I'll have. I don't know. Uh, There's a lot of unknowns, folks. But uh, if you want to do that, as I say, I will never share your information. I won't add you to a list or anything like that. 
it'll be just kept with me uh, personally. So if you are interested, uh, write on jeff at gmail.com. And uh, just a, a message to the admins and all of the people who serve alongside of me. Uh, I want to ask you to hold down the fort. Uh, you have my complete trust and support. And I'm so thankful for everything that each one of you do. Like, I'm, I'm really humbled by it. And, uh, and the prayer team, you have such a special place in my heart. You really do. I'll see you in a, in a while. God bless each and every one of you. Until next time, remember, love your God, love your family, love your neighbor as yourself, and make a difference in your community. <laughs>